0: One Hope Church Okay, so let's read Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. It says, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered, And this census took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. And so all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Okay, and so let's just hit a, a few things here. You, you kind of have these, these big, this big global event, um, you know, that's the, the Roman Empire, which um, had a vast, tremendous territory at this point, um, and they controlled um, Israel and Syria and nations surrounding that. And so when they call for something to be done, it will be done. And so when this um, census is called, everybody had to go back to their basically their hometown. And this is important um, on this global scale, but it's also important for the fulfillment of the scriptures of the Old Testament that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem, that he would come from the line of King David and both Joseph and Mary um, come from that lawn. And so Joseph goes back to Bethlehem, um, to that place uh, that's a, a lowly place, but that greatness has come from before and greatness is going to come from again. And so he's to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was of the lineage of David. And we see here he was registered with Mary, his you know, in betrothed wife, the one he was going to marry, um, the one he's been you know, engaged to um, and that he's now you know, joined with. But remember that Mary came with child with Jesus um, by miraculous uh, conception of the Holy Spirit and that um, Joseph was not um, the father in the biological sense, though he is the father in the parental sense. Um, and so... Here we have it, and, and this part, you know, I, there's a couple things in here where I don't want to ruin Christmas for people, but uh, some of our conceptions of what happened, you know, at Christmas and all of those things um, are, are sometimes skewed from what the history actually is. Um, for one thing, you know, even the dating of it, when I mean, we're here in September and we're talking about, you know, the birth of Jesus, like, wait, aren't we supposed to do this around Christmas time? Well, Christmas... And when Jesus was born, we can, we can pretty safely say it wasn't December 25th, and, you know, that's um, you know, one, of those, one of those things that just came along later on. Um, but here, here he is, and, and here's one of these just a little interesting things to think about, because our perception of it is, in my mind anyway, it's like, you know, Mary and Joseph are traveling to Bethlehem. They, like, barely get there. And this baby's about to pop out, and they got to find somewhere to get this, have this baby. And so, okay, there's no room for them in the inn. And so, here's this little stable thing that we normally see, like, in our little nativity scenes. And so, there's Jesus, you know, gets born there, right? Um, but it says, while they, were there, while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. So, you know, they've been there a little bit of time. Um, another thing that's interesting here, when it says there's no room for them in the inn, um, that's the, the word inn there is the same word that Luke uses in chapter 22, verse 11, to describe the place that Jesus had um, his last meal with, was his, with his disciples before he went to the cross, where he had the last supper, what we call the upper room. And, and in this you know, time period, um, a lot of houses would have this. They would have you know, the, the house, and they'd have this upper room part where it could be used, you know, multiple purposes. It could be used to have a meal with more people, or it could be used as a guest room. Um, and it's likely here that, you know, Joseph is actually with his family, with his Lord, as everybody's coming back and coming back to the hometown, that he has relatives who are here, but there are other relatives, perhaps some that are elderly or uh, whatever that had precedence for this part, you know, so there wasn't room for them there, but the houses also, many times, um, had a place um, off to the to the side of the house that would really be attached to the house, where the animals would come in at night for safety and protection. They'd be let out during the day, um, and then that place would be swept out and clean. And they would have a you know a manger there, a feeding trough there, you know, for the animals. Um, so it very well could have been that sort of situation. They are in a lowly place. They are staying where the animals would normally stay. You can't take that away from the story. Um, but perhaps ours get a little bit, you know, skewed of, hey, there's no room in the hotel. The, actually, it's, it's also interesting, Luke, um, when he's talking about the story of the, of the Good Samaritan and the Samaritan, you know, buying the room, uh, buying the place in the inn for the uh, man that had been beaten, it's actually a different word there and a much more specific word for a place that you would pay for lodging. Um, so just something to think about there. It doesn't really change the story that much, but it does change the story a little bit, and, it, and we kind of do need some of our, like, myths, if you will, dis, you know, dispelled. Um, so we have a, a little bit more of an accurate view of what actually happened. But what's important to understand here in the bigger picture is that Jesus is going to be born in Bethlehem because the Messiah needed to be born in Bethlehem. And this is f- part of the f- fulfillment of that prophecy and that Jesus of the line of, is of the line of David because it was prophesied that, that, that to that kingdom there would be no end. And so those are the bigger things. So I don't want you to get caught up on the little points, but sometimes it's helpful for us to examine those things because perhaps there's other presuppositions we have when we go into reading the texts of Scripture that aren't necessarily accurate on a cultural or linguistic basis, and we need to evaluate those so that we come to the right conclusions, not just on the smaller things, but particularly on the things that do really matter more. Does it matter whether Jesus was born in this attachment to the house or in this little you know, shack of a thing that we often have in our minds? No, it doesn't really matter. Uh, but what does matter is that he came... For us. And so let's go to verse 8, and we'll read a, a portion here. It says, Now they were in the same country, shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you in this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Now you can imagine the angel's... Coming And that the shepherds, you know, they've never seen anything like this before. They've never experienced anything like this before. Said the glory of the Lord, not just the angels, but the glory of the Lord shown around them. And the natural response, as we see even as you read the Old Testament, when the glory of the Lord comes, when the presence of God is there, that there is a natural fear. One, because you're dealing with something that you don't know, but also because one is dealing with something that is so much higher and greater and more powerful. And so that natural response is fear, but listen to what the angel says immediately, do not be afraid. That natural human response, again, rightly so, is fear. But God's response back through the angel here is, do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. And we'll see this theme continued out in this passage, but... It's wonderful to know that the good news of God, that there is a Savior who is born in the city of David, who is Christ the Lord, is, is you know, the King of all. And he is the King for all, all people. It's not set aside just for one particular um, race or ethnicity or for one particular language. But here, this grand announcement that is giving to these shepherds who, you know, in the... In the Scale of society uh, would view, be viewed as a lower class of people, um, particularly for non-Israelites. Many times, you know, even in the Egyptians, if you remember the Egyptians back in the book of um, of Exodus and Genesis and Exodus, they, you know, the Israelites had to live outside of the city, not because they needed the lands for being shepherds, because but because shepherds were kind of repulsive to the Egyptian people as. You know, those, those are lowly people who do that. We don't do that sort of work. Um, and yet we find, again, we, have, we see God's heart, um, you know, for all types of people. And here, uh, for people who are just these ordinary working dudes trying to scratch out a living as being shepherds. And of all people in the world, they are given this news and they are given this, this message. And it's really beautiful Um, And again, what is this message? That there is in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And I think that we really need to focus in on that because God the Father did not send us a self-help guru. He didn't send us an entertainer. He didn't send us a politician. He sent us a Savior and a king. We need to understand who he is, and I, I hear a, a, a lot of people. Um, when it comes to Jesus, you know they want to take him um, outside of his deity and, and just to have his moral, you know, teachings. Uh, um, you know, a lot of times football players get a, a rap of of not being so bright, and some of them aren't so bright, but um, a lot of them are really, really smart. And uh, there's one guy named Arian Foster who um, played at Tennessee, football at Tennessee, and then um, is a professional player now who's, you know, very well known. And he's kind of become, um, which is kind of contrary to the culture of football, but he's become like this um, atheist or, you know, doesn't believe there there is a God. He's become a spokesperson for that, you know, movement. But in um, articles reading about about him, he talked about, um, you know, these discussions he was having with, with his mom, of could you take, could you take Jesus and just have his moral teachings, without the the deity part, without the divinity part, because he thinks what Jesus taught was was good. Well, he's not the first person who's thought this. I mean, many people have thought those ideas. I mean, even Thomas Jefferson, you know, made his own you know gospels where you know he he clipped out all the, he you know, kind of cut and pasted, but he you know he clipped out all the miracles. And so you would just have the teachings, but to take away the deity of Christ. Well, if you you take away the deity, you don't have the same Christ, and you really don't have his teachings either, because that goes exactly contrary to his teachings. But God sent us a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He is the anointed one of God, and he is the King. He is Lord of all. But notice this, you will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger again, that Jesus came humbly. We understand that God humbled himself. You know, to become like us, you know, to put on human flesh, still maintaining his deity, but putting on human flesh was humbling. But then not even that, he comes among the humble of the humble. And Jesus does that for us, as an, and as an example for us. Because if Jesus is willing to do this, then are, are we willing to humble ourselves? Are we willing to humble, humble ourselves? First to know God and then to live for him. Imagine just being there in that field and the heavenly host, a multitude, saying glory to God in the highest and on earth... Peace, goodwill toward men. What a proclamation of grace, a proclamation of God's grace there for His creation, for His people. Verse 15 So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us know now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled, and those who were with with them that were told them sorry, and all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, as it was told to them. Notice the responses that are given. You know, the shepherds, they say, hey, let's go, you know, we just heard this. Let's go see it. And so they go and see it, and then they've got to tell others about it. Um, And then they finish with, they're going to tell others about it, and they're going to glorify and praise God. That's really the proper response whenever you, you meet and know Jesus. That's the proper response. You tell others about him, and you glorify and praise God. But the people that, that heard it, they marveled. So now their curiosity is sparked. And this is all laying the foundation for the future. But their curiosity has sparked. And the response of Mary, she ponders these things in her heart. And she's still gaining understanding um, of what is, what is happening and the story that she is now a part of. Uh, but that's just really uh, powerful for us. And... You know, not totally ruin Christmas for you because you still have your shepherds there at the manger and everything. You get to keep those right where they are. All right? <laughs> That's good. All right. Verse 21. When the eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, which means Savior, and the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Interesting thing is when you look back at Leviticus chapter 12, you actually see that when a woman had a firstborn son, that she was actually supposed to take to the temple a lamb and a dove for the sacrifice. And then if she couldn't afford it, if it, or the family couldn't afford it, then they would bring either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And so again, here we see the, the lowliness of Jesus in his you know, birth and the lowliness of his, of his family that they couldn't afford that lamb and so it's, again, um, who God uses, as you look through the scriptures, he uses all sorts of people. He does use kings. He does use, you know, um, physicians, and uh, he, he uses very wealthy, you know, wealthy business people, but he also uses the poor, and he uses average, hardworking people, um, and He and he grabs people from different positions that... People in the world, would overlook, the world would overlook and say, not too important. And yet, to God, very important. We can, we'll continue to see that theme this morning played out. And now we get to verse 25. And, and here, um, there's just so many key things that are here. but It says, Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the par- when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took up in his arms and blessed. He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, "Lord." Now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. So let's stop for a moment and go back. Just um, you know, he was just. He was devout. He was elderly. You know, he had lived a long life. But God had promised him that he wouldn't depart until he had seen the Lord's Christ. He had seen the Lord's anointed one. He says he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. That means he's waiting for the Messiah to come. And so he had this promise and so he goes, you know, when he goes into the temple that day and sees Jesus, he sees the promise. He sees the promise that he's been waiting for and his natural reaction is to pick Jesus up in his arms. But Listen to what he says. Now you're letting a servant depart in peace. He knows his future as a man of faith in God. And in the Messiah is really where his faith is. The one, you know, he had, his faith had been in the one who is coming, and now his faith is in the one who is. And our faith is in the one who came and died and rose again and is. Same faith toward the same person of Jesus. And it didn't matter that Jesus was a baby at the time. He was still the Messiah then. He was still the king then, as he was when he went to the cross. It says, My eyes have seen your salvation. Notice again, just like the angels had said, what you have prepared before the face of all peoples. It's a, it's a, it's a universal message for the whole world. For the whole world. As John 3:16, for God so loved the world, not just Israel, or not just another nation, or not just, you know, white males in their 30s. I don't know. Whatever you want to make up. I mean, people do make you know make these things up and get very narrow with whatever they fit into. And we need to be careful not to not to do that and not to limit the grace of God. In that way, because it is for all peoples. It is for people of every tongue and every tribe, from every nation. He says, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles. And really all of this is just the fulfillment of the promises that, you know, God even gave back to Abraham, that, you know, in his seed, all the families of the earth would be blessed. That's always been God's plan. You know, Israel's role was to be a light to the nations. A lot of times they didn't fulfill that role as they should have. But that was their responsibility. That was a the job they had given That God didn't call them to isolation and or to view themselves as superior. He viewed them to call themselves as people who were to be a light to the other nations and to be a people who had a responsibility. As a church, we can learn from this. We're not Israel. We're the church of Jesus, but we can learn from this. God hasn't called us to be isolationists where we just you know, have our holy huddle and we don't interact with people who don't you know, believe and think the same way that we do. But he's called us to go out. And as we've you know, hit on time and time again in our church, because Jesus is our, our one hope, because he has given us our mission to make disciples— of all the people groups. We care about what's going on in our world and we pray for what's going on in our world and we support what is going on and the word of God going forth in our world and we have a desire to send people into the world to make disciples. It's why we do what we do in Mexico among the Naluk people. It's why we make efforts to start a school in Tanzania it's why we support and pray for other missionaries and um, are involved in other things. It's, it's why we care about all of the, the terrible news that we read about and why that should drive us to our knees to pray. It's because Jesus is that light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and, to, and he is the glory of, of, of the Israelites as well. He is all of that in one. And Joseph and his mother, verse 33, and Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Wow. And it didn't just stop there with this proclamation of greatness but there's also this prophetic word of that this is going to be tough and here's why is because Jesus does call the fall or the rise of many in, and he did so in Israel and he does so all over the world today because what you know has been said in the old testament and in the new testament is that God has placed his stone in Zion, the chief cornerstone you know, that the builders rejected and there it's you know, many of the religious people are the ones who mostly you know, rejected Jesus the ones who should have been building on him rejected him but the same thing is true about Jesus today because Jesus said I am the way, the truth, and the life no one comes to the Father but by me you know it, that it's a universal message but it's not you know universally inclusive that you can just believe what you want to believe and do what you want to do and that at the end of the day you know especially if you're just a nice person everything's fine that's not the message that Jesus gives Jesus is unique there is a reason we say we're one hope church because Jesus is our one hope he is it we have put everything in on jesus and said this is where we stand or where we fall on jesus himself that's it we believe we will stand on him he is our rock and he is you know a sure hope but at the end of the day that's it we don't have a plan b and we don't have a backup and we're not saving and holding out any chips for anything else We're not waiting for the potential of another hand to be dealt. This is it. It's just Jesus. It's just Jesus. Because there's two errors. One is to make salvation that we talked about earlier overly narrow. You know, it's only for this particular group of people. It's only for this those who speak this particular language, or do these particular rituals, to make it overly narrow. But also tremendously dangerous is this universalism. You know, this this idea that God is love, but to the point of removing all of his other attributes of, of his holiness and his justice And to just have, you know, well, everything's going to be okay in the end for everybody. That's not the gospel. That's not the message of Jesus Christ. You can take that, but you can't take that and Jesus. You can't have that and Jesus because Jesus' message is completely contrary to that. He stands with open arms, but his are the only arms someone can go to are the only one. So when, you know, and, and people get offended by that. and you say, well, are you saying this religion is better than, than that religion? Well, religion is really defined as, you know, man's attempt to define and to know God. We don't believe any religion can save us. We don't even believe Christianity can save us. Because there are people in churches all over this city this morning, who are going through the motions and it is their culture and they have never gotten on their knees and said Lord forgive me I'm a sinner but they are trusting their own goodness and that they're part of the right group and their traditions to save them and at the end Jesus will say depart from me I never knew you and he will say that to people that are filling churches in Athens, Georgia Christianity cannot save you. Just like Islam cannot save you or Buddhism or Hinduism or humanism. Only Jesus can save someone. It's only Jesus. So no my religion is not better. one of those can't even do anything for me. But Jesus is. Jesus is all in all. And people stand or they fall on him. Now, our responsibility as followers of Jesus, and this is where the church has really missed the boat many times, is to make sure that people are either standing or falling on Jesus and not on other things. A lot of times people never make it to Jesus because the church isn't living like Jesus. So that's our responsibility, is to be disciples of Jesus. Who are, what does that mean? It means striving to be like him and to live like he would live here now. And, you know, if he's in your work, how does Jesus work? If he's in your home, how does, what does Jesus do? That's how we need to be thinking. Verse 36, and we only have four more verses. Hang with me. Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with a, a husband seven years from her virginity, and this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple but served God with fasting and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong in spirit and filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon them. So the law says, you know, by you know, the, the testimony of two or more, something shall be established. And so Simeon comes first, and he gives his prophecy and his testimony of Jesus, and then Anna comes second, and you may notice there she's a a woman, she's a widow. And so the scriptures are constantly validating women and their value and their importance, and it's just another instance where we shouldn't even have to point it out very much because it's like, well, there it is again because it's just all over the place. But there it is again, if you need to be pointed to that this morning and to see it. And there's also something there with, you know, because it wasn't an issue in that time, because elderly people were respected and taken care of. But in our time and in many cultures in our world today, this should speak where you know as people get older they are oftentimes not taken care of and not cared for. So this should be a word to us as supporting on, on that note as well. And we see God valuing people again, you know, every stage of life. Even back in Luke chapter 1, we saw in the womb the value. And so, you know, people ask me like, are you pro-life? It's like, yes, I am pro-life. I am pro-life from, you know, in the womb conception all the way to the grave. I'm pro-life. Every every step along the way. And for every person in every position in life, whether rich or poor, pro life. We want to be people who are for what God is for. The enemy is the one who is the roaring lion seeking whom he may devour and destroy. God is the one who gives life and gives it abundantly. So what side are we on with that? We're the ones who want to give life and give it abundantly to people. And that means taking care of people, and that means taking care of those who have a difficult time taking care of themselves, at least for a particular point in time in life. And so we see our responsibility, you know, in that. In the next section, you're going to see them go back to Nazareth. You're going to see this part in the temple. You can read 41 through 52 on your own and do your homework there, but there's something in between that Luke doesn't take the time to get into, but Matthew, in Matthew chapter 2, does. And again, here's your little picture, because you notice you didn't have wise men there, because they came later. So if you've got your little nativity scene, at least put them off a little bit, because they're like on the way. All right? And when they finally get there, you know, Herod, they go to Herod first, where's the king? Herod kind of freaks out. Somebody's going to take his place eventually, like, what? what's going on here? And so, you know, the the wise men go and worship and then they go back a different way and an angel tells Joseph, get out of here. And they go, Joseph and Mary and Jesus go to Egypt where Jesus is temporarily a refugee child. Let that sink in for a minute. Let that sink in. Have you thought about Jesus being a refugee child? He, he was, he was. It's also fulfilling prophecy. Hosea eleven one, you know, out of Egypt I have called my son. Just like Israel, he was, again he's representing the whole nation, as Israel was in bondage, that nation. He goes, I mean, it, they were Israel was in bondage in Egypt, and she, he goes there and identifies with their oppression, and he's their savior. Coming out as their savior as they came out. They went to the promised land, but he is the promised one. And so you see in it beautiful, powerful picture, but to us, what does that speak of when our world today has you know more refugees than it at least at any point since World War II? And you have people fleeing. You know, we see it all in the news right now, you know, in Syria and Iraq and just horrible stories, you know, people dying in these boats and every day, every single day, you know, just terrible, terrible things. But we also see it in other parts of the world, you know, when we talk about immigration in our own, you know, nation, many people are coming from Central America and from other places because they are fleeing violence. They're just trying to survive. And we need to put ourselves as, you know, in the Old Testament, uh, the Israelites were told to remember, hey, remember you were once, you know, in bondage. You know, remember those who are coming into your nation and like to treat them well was the instruction, to treat them well. Again, we're not, we're not Israel, we're... We are the church, but you know certainly that would apply to us because you know at one point we were without hope, regardless of your physical conditions. On a spiritual level, you were without hope, and you were without a home, you were without a family, you were without everything that you needed, ultimately, and God saved you and He redeemed you by grace through faith, right? And so now that has to influence. That has to influence how we see people in desperate situations and people in, in refugee situations or just in migration situations trying to have a better opportunity for their families. Like It has to influence how we see those things. And yes, there may be a lot of other things going on in the background in some of these cases. We don't know it all, but I know that God's heart wants us to be generous and loving and caring and doing what we can. So let's continue to consider that and to pray about that and to work as the Lord leads us on these things. Because perhaps he'll call somebody from this room that your life will be given to help refugees. Perhaps to call somebody in this room that your life is given to help those in, that are elderly in their, their last days on the earth and to be a person who gives many of them a final opportunity to, to be introduced to Jesus and to know him. But God has called us to significance because he's called us to make disciples. And that's what we are ultimately about. We're about the glory and worship of God and the making of disciples for the glory and worship of God. It's really really simple. And we need not to complicate it. We also need to make sure that our lives don't so get so crowded that we don't have room for that. If you don't have time for that, we're doing too much of the wrong things. Not necessarily bad things, just not the right things that make a difference for eternity. So as we take the bread and cup this morning, Let's consider Jesus, consider how he came, why he came, and that we're determined to be on purpose with him. But we know the scripture tells us before we take it to examine our hearts, to ask the Lord to show us the uncleanness within us and to confess it and to get rid of it. And that's our responsibility this morning as we continue to worship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and we praise you. We thank you for your goodness to us and Lord, I come to you this morning again just um, like everyone here, a broken person, always in need of you, Jesus. Help us to understand that no matter even where you have brought us from, the depths that you have brought us from, God, that we need you and we need your son, Jesus, today as much as we ever have. So as we take that bread and cup this morning, we give thanks to you, God. We say thank you for Jesus. And Jesus, we say thank you that you went to the cross to pay the debt that we couldn't pay. Thank you, Jesus. In your precious name, amen.